Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where we share stories and tips to help you run a better farming business and create your very own freedom farm. If you're looking to work smarter and not harder in your farm business, welcome, you're in the right place. And um, hopefully this win that we're seeing here today is... um, is landing with you and helping things dry out a little bit and hopefully your harvest and cheering and all of the busyness of the end of the season starts to get underway. What a year it's been. Um, Like no other, I think it's fair to say, it gives me great pleasure in this podcast to welcome back Brett Stevenson to our podcast. I interviewed Brett in November 2020 to give us a read on the grain market and his view on the future of the grain market back then. And with this season that we've seen and um, with what's playing out globally, I just thought a perfect timing to call on Brett again, founder and managing director of Market Check, which is Australia's most prominent and independent um, marketing and education service to Australian farmers. Um, Brett and his team have just such a strong um, level of capability in all things grain marketing. So it's um, wonderful, Brett, to have you with us again. Thanks for your time and thanks for your read on what's played out for us and what is to play out for us in all that we're doing around grain commodities and, and harvest right now. Thanks, Jeremy. Good to be with you and with all the, uh, your supporters. So, uh, yep, it's been an interesting time. So, Brett, let's go back to sort of February of this year. I'd love to understand, given that we had a fairly good, solid, wet start in most areas, like what was your read on the season ahead and, you know, what were your predictions then and and what is your take on this season that we've had? Yeah, well, Jeremy, it was. it's interesting we're talking about November 20, you know, and I probably would have said, gee, it's uh, great to finally have a decent season and uh, let's hope we can get a couple more. Well, I suppose uh, earlier this year, after two pretty strong seasons to then go on for a third, um, it made me think about the drought where we had two years of drought and thinking of going on to the third. And uh, although the bit like two up, uh, it doesn't mean just because there's been a stream of heads, there isn't going to be another head afterwards. Um, it was a little bit hard to believe that we could head into another good good go at a, a cropping season again. Um, and then all that shaped by the background of on the 24th of February, Russia going across the border into Ukraine. Um, so we had this mixed thing of the season getting underway uh, early, you know, and on good time uh, for most people, canola being able to go in the ground. And then having this massive volatility in the oilseeds markets or all grain markets, really, um, at the same time. But, uh, yeah, but so early, all happening in March, you know, time when, you know, you, you've had two seasons, you go, do I sell some forward or do I lock some in? Crikey, you know, we're really going to have another good go at a season. So it was a really, you know, uh, difficult time to work out what to do with all this volatility that was available to us. And what's your team's assessment of 
what we can expect now as we sort of come into a late harvest. Um, no doubt at the start of the season, there was sort of big um, estimations around production levels across the country, but with you know the extended wet that we've had um, and this unique season that's unfolded, what are your, what are your estimations as a team now? Well, it's been, yeah, I, I think, you know, like I'm talking about volatility in the prices. Well, you know, in the last couple of months, the uh, the forecasters that have been out there have been uh, pretty volatile in what's been, they've gone, I think the highest Australian crop forecast for wheat got to 36 and a half million tonnes. We're now probably moderating more to 34 or so. Um, depending on which, you know, taking a sort of balance of the forecasters that are out there. So the crop has been sort of meandering from 31 not many months ago to 36, back to 34. These are, We're talking about millions of tonnes of movement in the total crop. So it's been, a, it's been an extraordinary finish and it's sort of like I was saying there before that we sort of thought, gee, maybe it's going to be a dry one after two good, good wet ones. Um, and it's actually been the reverse. We're getting flooded and, well, we've been getting flooded and we're losing crops because of being too wet. And then it's the forecasters are trying to balance out, as are the farmers, you know, how much impact is that going to have on my total crop? At low country getting flooded out, but hills looking better and better. Um, yeah, so there's, uh, you know, there's so much uncertainty about what the impact is on the quality of the crop here now. We're just, I was just actually talking to you before the podcast of we're just starting to get a feel from the north and some areas of South Australia and even around here in the Riverina, just tidbits of crop coming in and getting a feel for what it's like. So, yeah, it's, it's a big crop, but it's uh, been very weather impacted both from a good sense of growing capability, but also in terms of quality. Yeah, and no doubt the challenges now start for our farmers, don't they, on how they practically get onto paddocks and and get it off farm and into a grain market. Yeah, well, you know, there, there's, you know, <clears throat> difficulties there. You know, I was just talking to, um, I've got a small sort of uh, nursery thing on my farm here and, I had a couple of members of Market Check here on the weekend, and one was just telling me that uh, uh, her husband got out and was uh, on the head trying to strip some canola, and she was waiting on the tractor, and he made one round. She thought, oh, dude, that's pretty good. Went into the second round and got bogged twice, had to pull him out twice. So that's just an indication of what it's going to be like. Um, so that's going to be yeah, a bit like to happen in a lot of areas last year. Um so it's going to be difficult to get off the paddock, and then once you get off the paddock, the you know you've, I don't think Blind Freddy could not notice just how bad these roads are in a lot of areas. Um, there's some roads actually out here, um, uh, out past West Wyalong there that have actually been closed because the road is so damaged beyond repair. So just getting it from the farm to a site stored carefully, or trying to work out how you're going to store it on the farm, keep it out of any water. Um, yeah, it, logistics and that sort of thing and just the sheer moving the grain is going to be very challenging for everybody. It's going to, yeah, it's going to take a lot of thought to it and um, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out, actually, Jeremy, to be honest. Is it possible to 
to do a state by state, or is there just so much variability within each state that um, that a, a comment on what's happening in each of the states isn't relevant? No, I think that's no. I think it is relevant, Jeremy. To be honest with you, the, the obviously New South Wales is you know you sit here in the River Anna, and I was just telling you before that six floods go in front of my office window here, down on the Clamber Creek here, and. Uh, but uh, and Moree, Central West, you know, you don't have to go too far. It's all the same. It's you know, there's so New South Wales is really the one that's really hurt the most. There's areas of Victoria that have uh, had some flood impact, of course, uh, from those storms, particularly from those storms about a month ago. Um, but nothing like New South Wales and South Australia. We've had some storms through there on the weekend. We're we're just in the latter part of November, um, but. Um, and we're not quite sure of, I don't think too much damage, just uh, damage to facilities. So New South Wales is the hotspot for the flood damage, really. Um, so you can't, uh, you certainly can't uh, extrapolate what's happened here in New South Wales to Victoria and South Australia. They're in pretty good shape. Um, and in barring more bad weather catching up with them, which hopefully doesn't happen, um, we should have fairly smooth harvests in Victoria, South Australia, and we'll have a hodgepodge in New South Wales. Southern Queensland is going along quite well, and uh, Western Australia, well, that's uh, that's that's you know that's going to should come in pretty smoothly. Right, great. You know, I've heard really good reports coming out of Southern Queensland, and it's good just to get understand what's happening over in WA as well. What does all that mean in your view and what are you telling your clients from a, a pricing perspective, Brett? Yeah, well, we, we, as I said, we're here, here we are in the sort of last week and a half of November and what's, you know, and we're talking about just getting onto crops. You know, can you believe it? We're in the last sort of piece of November and we're just getting onto these crops. So what's happened is for a lot of consumers, domestic consumers, and also some of the exporters that have sold into the, export market, they thought that, you know, I mean, who wouldn't have thought that the crop would be coming in by now to really hold us, bold us, and you'd be able to accumulate stock and uh, get it off down the down the logistics channels and start exporting it. And the consumers here domestically, same, same thing. And anyway, it hasn't happened. So they've run down stock, the domestic consumers, and it's got very tight. So what we're trying to do as best we can once we get with these crops is try and get grain moved and sold into those markets because there's a big premium for early early you know delivery early sale um, of the grain that's coming off doesn't pretty much doesn't matter what it is really canola wheat barley there's all homes that are fairly short so that's a pretty pretty easy one if you if you can get it off the paddock in the truck on the road and to the to where it's needed um so that but by the time we start getting into harvest and we get to know what it is and it's starting to creep along that route now um we'll get to where there's enough grain to satisfy those export short export demands you know at the nearby shipments and the consumers will start getting enough the domestic consumers will get enough to 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 get by until the bulk of harvest comes in and then we'll get the real the real deal of where um, where the prices are going to find themselves. So you see a bit of a premium around that in the short term, and then prices probably coming off off once those short term shortages are fulfilled. 
Yeah, so we're 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 you know we're sort of yelling from the treetops a bit, Jeremy, to say don't yeah because the temptation is when it's such a difficult harvest to concentrate purely on the headers, the trucks, the storage, and organising staff, and all that's been challenging enough. Um, and just let's get the job done and not worry about the market. And we're saying, look, keep keep your eye out because there's lots of opportunities here early on. So uh, keep keep your ears on um, because if you can just get it away and get it moved, um, get it into some of these early markets. There's you know there's you know 70, 80, even up to $100 a tonne premium over where the market sees itself being in a month's time. Um, so, you know, and that, that'll go for a little while depending on where you're located. So, yeah, we're just trying to really encourage people to watch the market early. Once we get into the thunder of harvest, of course, it'll be a different story. But uh, anyone who's lucky enough to get on their country early we're, we're, and, and get it moving, we're trying to keep them aware of what's going on. Yeah, that's great advice. Thanks, Brett. What other risks and issues should we be aware of? Well, the, the, the interesting thing is, I guess, with going back to what's happened this year with Russia invading Ukraine and uh, and the world's largest exporter of wheat and the fifth largest exporter of wheat in the world being locked into uh, military uh, combat, um, that we had a this obviously explosion in the prices, and so we've we've seen, you know, the ASX market for APW got up to five hundred and fifty, I think, dollars a ton for wheat, mm. and so we've got very much used to these high high prices, um, and I guess uh, as we dig further into harvest, um, it's coming at a time where the world is starting to uh, moderate a little bit uh, with the export market. And, of course, we, you know, most of the grain from Australia, you know, is going to be exported. Um, so that export market is starting to be – got this short going on, which is confusing people a bit. Gosh, these big numbers for barley delivered now, wheat delivered now, and, and then to all of a sudden go, hang on, we get into the breadth of harvest and it's 80 or 90 lower all of a sudden. Uh, people need to understand that that's where the real export job is, if you like. And at the same time, all those issues that we've been dealing with during the year to do with Russia and Ukraine up and down fighting, you know, the, the corridor to be able to get wheat out of the Black Sea into the world market, being sort of closed off, opened. You know, we had recently Putin closed it and then within two days open again. Um all these things are uh, on people's minds. But what I'm trying to, I suppose, give the message here on this podcast is things are starting to settle. You know, we've just had the meeting with uh, Biden and uh, Xi Jinping. You know, the, the growth, average growth from 2000 to 2010 in China was at around 10% per annum. With the COVID restrictions and everything, we're down, we're looking at a forecast of less than four. For this year, so they need, you know, they need their commodities, they need their food, their economy is in a bit of trouble. Putin, uh, you know, for want of saying he's losing the war, but it's not going well, you know, and closing that corridor, I think, was the last gasp for trying to get attention to get a deal, and that didn't last for a few days, and now that wheat is flowing. 
So I suppose what I'm just trying to say, Jeremy, the market is on a different footing to where it's been for the balance of the the last 11 months of the year. Um, and we just need to be be mindful of that. Um, I'm not wanting to say that things could fall away and maybe they won't, but uh, certainly what was going on in the world to generate these high prices doesn't seem in our vision to be as apparent as what it was. So, yeah, we're just trying to get people's head on about that, I suppose. Um, yeah, so I mean, just, just to round that out, the um, unique events of the Ukraine and, you know, COVID have meant we've seen inflated prices, but they're not to be the base level. Um, yeah, you see things stabilising a bit and with that probably prices stabilising as well. Absolutely. And they've actually started to do that internationally. We're not seeing it. It has come back here in Australia a bit, I suppose, but we've got this short in the market that's making it look like it's not really there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the 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 Chicago price per bushel, so in US dollars, you know, has been up, uh, you know, $10, $12 a bushel. I mean, we're trading close to eight now. Just to give people an idea, we're, we're at the lowest point we've been for some time. Um, and uh, and international prices in Australian dollars per tonne are probably the lowest they've been for some time as well. So, yeah, things are really calming down, that's for sure. Brett, what's happened in other major grain export nations this season, um, Canada, America and other, and um, what are the other sort of global influences that we need to be aware of? Yeah, so it's a really good point, Jeremy, because what we need now is I think we're we're out of bullets for warfare, you know, coming to the rescue to climb prices up again, I, I think. I mean, uh, who knows? I didn't I didn't think Russia would would invade Ukraine, so I got that wrong. Our correspondents in Ukraine and Russia didn't think that they would, but they did. So maybe something can happen, but I think the real thing for us now to, to keep these prices up here while we can market our crop um, is going to be these crops overseas. Now, the US is is dry, but uh, we're heading into the winter over there. Um, so, you know, it, it, they've been getting some precipitation, which has sort of taken a bit of the oomph out of it. Um, the uh, Argentinian crop is very dry, which is going to come off February next year, which will be, you know, sort of the next supplier. So that's helpful um, and not looking, you know, not looking good at this stage. Um, but the big, the other big bangers like Russia, Ukraine, Ukraine hasn't got as much crop in. So that's helpful. Russia is going extremely well and Europe is going quite well at this stage too. So but if North America could, could come out of this into the into the spring early next year and remain dry and Argentina doesn't improve, it might provide that bit of underpinning in the supply side, which could could keep these prices here. So, yes, the political scene is moderating, so we probably can't. It's a bit hard to look for that to fire up again, but certainly the production side of thing has the potential to help us. And is that consistent across all the commodities that you work in, Brett? I mean, that's obviously that, that speaks to the cereals and to the oil seeds and maybe the pulses. Uh, yeah, the, the oil seeds, 
not not quite as much. The pulses, you know, Canada is starting to get a bit of a reprieve in parts. Uh, so the pulses, yeah, I'll probably you know, need need to dig deeper to give a more definitive answer. But let's say oil seeds, which is easier. Um, you know, the big producers like Brazil and that sort of thing are still looking reasonably on target. Not going to. There is a lot of soybean grown in Argentina, but uh, it's not as tight as it was, uh, but still not too badly off. Europe is travelling quite well, as I said. Um, we've got a big crop of canola coming off, which is going to keep things reasonably moderated as well. Um, even though beans, soybeans are the big biggie. Um, yeah. Probably say from a production point of view, you can't get too carried away with looking for a production problem there. But the market is globally still tight on oil seeds. So it should, you know, it should hold pretty well. And that's been sort of justified here, as you can see, the market holding around this 850, 800 sort of mark, which is, you know, still incredible. I mean, uh, really, uh, compared to where we've been over the last 10 years. So, yeah. The, the wheat and the cereals is the one that's probably got the more chance for being supported by seasonal conditions. And do you see um, anything special in the price range um, based on quality? Well, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, with what's happening here, you know, with the weather, and we were talking uh, b briefly before about the shape of the crop as it comes in by that, I mean, you know, the quality framework that we're going to see. We're, we're probably going to see the the largest spread of quality dynamics more as evenly as it's going to be that we've seen before. In other words, instead of there being a bit of, um, you know, feed and a lot of APW and H2 and that sort of thing, I think we're going to see a fairly even spread of stuff from H1 all the way right down to feed, you know, over the the New South Wales, Victoria and and uh, South Australia. Um, so there's going to be a fairly big spread of quality. Um, and, of course, the protein is is very, very well sought after. So that's got some big prunes there. Malt barley, 100 over feed barley. If uh, we've got a client with some malt barley in Moree, so very happy we're getting that away as fast as we can. Um, so, yeah, but even still, you get down to... SFW and feed wheat, they're still worth pretty strong money, you know, at the moment, you know, 300s and this sort of thing. So there, there's some big premiums and discounts in there, but uh, but still, even if you've got a fair bit of feed wheat or SFW, they've still got pretty strong, you know, strong values to support them at the at the minute. Um, and, you know, and we've got strong demand out of Southeast Asia for a lot of those grades into the feeders. So, um, they're 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 hanging in there pretty well considering how wet this year has been. With that, I think the other thing that's unique about this year is we've seen some inflationary impact post COVID. Fuel, fertilizer, a lot of us haven't been able to get on our paddocks, so we've called on helicopters and aeroplanes to to spread to spray or spread fertilizer. Um, I think it's fair to say that a lot of people are optimistic going into this year and have thrown the book at some of these crops. Um, what advice are you giving to people who are sort of navigating that higher cost base and really looking to get as much from their marketing as they can? 
Well, it's, you know, it's a real, there's a big dynamic going on in that whole environment. Yes, it's been the most expensive crop in history, as you're mentioning. Um, there's no walking away from that. And, of course, the values have led to that investment because, the, you know, what's been going on in the markets has really rewarded you. And, you know, even the hay market's a bit short because everyone's going on to seed uh, because of the value that's there. Um you know, the, the thing is to be my, and I might just put this into some context, is at the same time we want to get the crop secure. So, and with the weather, that's getting a priority, of course. Um, but as I'm sort of saying, the markets are starting to moderate. You know, the, the global political scheme is starting to moderate. Yes, we've got some support from production issues, um, but uh, we've got the background of taxation, Problems a bit there. I'm not a tax specialist, but I know we've had two very good crops, a lot of money pouring into the um, the P&Ls of the farms and uh, to the point where it's been a lot of new equipment bought to depreciate to try and offset a lot of that. And so best, there's probably a temptation. Can I hang on to a bit of this for a period? Cost me a lot to get this crop in the bin, but can I hang on to maybe after 30th of June? But, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty and things are not as fired up as they were last year. So, oh, look, it's uh, it's complicated, Jeremy. You know, it's yeah, that's that's insightful. That's insightful. If you are, you know, looking at deferring income for tax purposes or other, just check that thought process. I guess is what you're saying. Yeah, well, you certainly don't want to try and do that and hold on to past thirtieth of June. At the expense that we northern hemisphere crop comes in okay, um, and we start getting into May next year, and the spring goes all right in the north in North America particularly, and Europe's going travelling along okay. We, you know, like I don't want to be a don't want to be a soothsayer, but we could go back to where we were. Prices could go back to where we were, and for a lot of people who have had to put this crop in twice because of how wet it's been, um, you know, it could really catch you out. Mm. So. Um, so, so yeah, with, with that, it's with that. It's just really important as a reminder, guys, to be out making sure you're right on top of your cash flow forecast into the future, and and that you're modelling actively those various scenarios around this harvest and what it can mean for future seasons. I think that's really important um, to be on top of beyond this conversation, um, Brett. Given that and that stability in the global market that you're starting to sense. Do you have an outlook beyond this season and for the next year or two? Yeah, I, I, what what we we think that just the the good thing about COVID is, uh, even though it's sort of you know apart from in China where it's still causing a lot of problems, um, is that it has uh, it, it feels like it's backed up a lot of demand. Um, like that's why the inflation inflation is appearing. There's a lot of uh, like coiled up spring demand out there in these economies. Now, trying to be controlled by the central banks um, and who knows where that goes, whether they overdo it or not. But that's been helping the demand side of things, oils in particular. Um, so uh, at the same time, the the balance sheets, the, the, the amount of stock available with what's happened with the middle, with uh, Black Sea is... Uh, has become very tight in all the exporter nations because they've had to use up a lot of those stocks out of those exporter nations. So, um, you know, our view is that the market should 
should hold for a reasonable period. There's lots of uncertainty with that new crop to hold things reasonably within a reasonable price framework. But if we get into that northern hemisphere spring and things, we don't get dry conditions, you know, we come back into a more average crop in North America. Because just remember, the southern hemisphere only represents a fairly small piece of the supply framework for the world. The, 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 the big Russia, Ukraine's Europe and North America are the big suppliers. So unless you can create a big hiccup up there, which we've had, North America's had some pretty ordinary seasons and so has Canada, you know. And uh, But if they were to get back to more normal, then you've got to accept that the prices are going to come back, maybe not to where they were before. Maybe we're not saying, you know, $200 a tonne or anything like that, but maybe maybe 250 to 300 for APW you know, is something that we could we could get to. Um, so, you know, and that's a fair way, you know, uh, ASX trading right at the minute, you know, at 4.45. So, uh, so there's, no, you, you, there's no silver bullet out there for farmers to say these prices have to be between sort of 3.50 and 4.50 if, uh, if the, the, the security scene in terms of Russia, China starts settling and the crops start going flowing back to sort of the you know the northern hemisphere crops start flowing back to somewhat of average then we've got to accept that we've got to probably come back a fair way from where we are so and my I guess 27 years of doing this Jeremy you know you, you sort of know that uh, you know things tend to sort of roll around the averages you know good crops bad crops and we get we get the worst of it here in Australia. We get thundering droughts. Then we get these bloody big floods and stuff. But in North America and Europe, they just don't get those big swings. Yes, they are getting a down down uh, crop at the moment, but they just as soon as they're down, you know, they've had a couple of years of pretty poor crops, they'll they'll end up with a stronger crop and, you know, we'll be, we'll be back to more of an average type price scenario. Yeah, it's a really important point, Brett, that, you know, it's easy when we do our forecasts at the start of these years to be really bullish around the price we put into our budgets that we go to the banks with. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think to your point, we're in a cyclical game and yeah. there's nothing to say that we won't move sort of significantly back towards average prices over the next year or two. So just make sure that we're thinking about those next few seasons with that in mind. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, that just sort of leads into the whole, I mean, people can make their own choices, but with inputs, you know, and uh, they're very, very expensive. But if the prices come back back a bit, people probably won't be going as hard. Like at the moment, the world is saying we're short of stock, particularly without Ukraine in. We need to make it. So the farmers that can are buying a lot of inputs to get these crops in. They're pushing the prices up. Um, But if that was to sort of, Ukraine was to get back more to normal, you know, in the next next crop, because we're about 60 or 70% in this year. Um, US was to have a better season, then that would come down. So it's, you know, just, you know, I actually said earlier this year, Jeremy, when I was travelling around seeing our members and stuff, saying, you know, sort of worries me that these inputs are so high because it feels like it could be a sucker crop. In other words, sucks you into the high prices and you just keep going at it because you want to get those high prices. You spend a lot on the crop and then get to the end and go, oh, bugger it. 
you know, but it hasn't sort of happened. The crops turned out okay. But is next year that crop? Is that next year the one that's going to suck us into spending a lot on it? And but then the returns, it's, it's probably got to happen somewhere. But which year is the one? I wanted to ask you, Brad, as you travel around um, and you do and see a lot of farms over the last 10 or 15 years, how big a shift toward cropping have you seen as a general comment? And do you see that changing if if we are going to swing back to closer to average prices perhaps and have to navigate inflation? Do you think we might see some sort of adjustment back to more of a mixed farming model? Like what's your what's your view on what has happened and what might happen? No, that's very it's it's interesting and I'd definitely swing to Broadacre and finding more country, you know, like I was uh I was you know, I was flabbergasted to see the country between, I drove across from uh, Clare Valley to Mildura about uh, six weeks ago, two months ago. And admittedly, it's a great season, but I was just amazed at how much cropping has, is going on up in that, that top corner of South Australia and of uh, Victoria as well, uh, which I hadn't realised had been happening. So, um, so yeah, there, there's, you know, and that was probably old sheep country really. Um, I don't see it swinging back too much, Jeremy, because at the end of the day, you know, you have to make such a big investment now to get the get your, all your economies right, the right equipment, the technology right. It's, and it's a it's a brain matter thing too. There's a, these are complicated, you know, crops, GPS, all this sort of stuff. A lot of big decisions around the agronomy management of these crops. And uh, so that's what's kept the actual livestock markets quite firm, in my view, is that a lot of guys, even though sheep prices are good and cattle are good, um, grain is good too. um, And maybe it's brought a lot of people into grain away from those livestock industries. But I don't think, I think the ones that have got that lucky balance of the mixed farming that live in the right areas for that, um, they're certainly not going to shift to farming, absolute. Uh, but the ones that have gone to absolute farming, I probably can't see, from our client base point of view, can't see too much shifting back into livestock. Um, but maybe I'm talking my own book, Jeremy, because no, you're in the grain business, you know. So we're, we're big advocates for to picking one or two and really doing them well rather than trying to do three or four or five enterprises. And so, you know, I think there's proof to say that if your best practice in whatever industry you're participating in, you can still do very well. So I think, you know, people who are committing to cropping um, are in pursuit of being at the top of the class, aren't they, in that vocation? They're not necessarily going to change um, quickly away from that business model because of what we've talked about. I think your comment's spot on. What excites you on farm? You think about those people who've gone all in on cropping and they're doing it very well. What excites you about what you've seen come into the industry from a production perspective as you travel around, Brett? Well, I, I suppose I've um, I've been very taken with the ability for people to farm some areas which which I would have said when I first started 26-odd years ago, you know, were, were not farmable, you know, like you couldn't grow crops in those areas. So... You know, I was yeah, I, I was so taken with the fact that guys have been brave enough and uh, have got enough technology around them in terms of moisture management and stuff to crop some of these areas that I would have thought were uncroppable, frankly. Mm. Um, so that's been 
for me this year, that's probably been one of the most exciting things I've seen is to see those areas, uh, obviously having a big banger crop too, but uh, to see them able to farm those areas the way they are, and they're going to do well, good good, good on them. Um, outside of that, I suppose, uh, you know, one of the things, I guess it's a challenge, but it would be exciting to see a lot more improvement. I might just focus on South Australia on this, but is to see much better um, and, and uh, you know, uh, more efficient um, ability to move grain in Australia. You know, we've, uh, yeah, what I sort of see, Jeremy, is that I've seen the farmers kept up with the technology, GPS, better economies of scale, better equipment. We're, we're, we're really at, you know, global standard in terms of keeping up with the way that we're running our production stuff. Um, but sadly, you know, the logistics in terms of exporting these crops, rail, port infrastructure and stuff has has really not travelled that same road. It's been very static, you know, like it really not much has happened. And uh, so we're, we're growing these 35, 34 million tonne crops. Um, in Western Australia is doing a great job. They're getting theirs out well. But in Eastern Australia, we've just got... Uh, lot more to do. So the, another thing that excites me is down in South Australia is seeing some of these new ports that are being built, you know, and new new structures of loading boats that then go out and load the the, the bigger vessels out in the harbour or out in the bay in the Gulf. Um, and it excites me to see, I don't know what, you know, we'll have to see what the impact is to see this um, just out of Bowman here watching the inland rail coming in. So, you know, I'd I'm getting to the end of my career, but it would be be great to see all that infrastructure catch up with the farmer with what they're doing. Because you know we've got, uh, as I said, we've gone, we're, we're keeping up. We're doing the farmers are doing a great job keeping up with the global, you know, standard, if not at the very top of it. Um, but our but our all our movement capability um, has not kept up. So, Brett, it's it's really interesting to hear your comments on the local infrastructure and that needing to keep up. I guess the one other thing that comes to mind is in this season where there's going to be such diversity in quality, I wonder how our limited infrastructure is going to hold up to that. Um, and also, I guess, the complexity of decisions for the farmer, like um, how do I get across my best marketing option for my produce this year when there is going to be so much variability. Yeah, well, Jeremy, that that you know, like price discovery in my world, I guess, is a is a, a real issue. We've got we've we've got a, a market that's still very disparate. You know, we've got a lot of growers who are trying to find the buyer themselves. Um, we've got platforms out there that are trying to use electronic ways of discovering the market, but they're not. They're not the Google, you know. They're the Yahoo or the other, the other types of search engines. They're they're they've not fully supported. Um, so there is a there is a real issue with actual price discovery in Australia. Again, I'd probably say because we're deregulated in 08, we're still on the path of finding that really good way of discovering price. Um, so you know, we we put a lot of energy and effort into that. Um, you know, we've got. Yeah, we we use a platform where we've got tenders and things like that to try and um, discover where the market really is. Because 
a lot of people seem to think the market is where the buyer wants to buy. And uh, that's that's not where the market is. The market is where what the buyer is willing to pay. And uh, that can only be discovered if you've got a system where they're bidding a price, the grower's offering it a price, and somewhere there's a navigation in the middle. So, um, but unfortunately, our market tends to work at harvest time where the grower just gets the grain and goes bang, hits the bid all the time, and the bid price tends to be the market. I'd really like it to see a lot more growers offering grain and discovering where the market will trade rather than thinking that wherever the buyer's bidding is where the market is. So I know that's probably a little bit complex, but uh, but that's a really important piece uh, to the puzzle coming forward for the grain industry, I reckon. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting insight. Um, how does market check play in that? And I'm just keen for you to give your team um, a plug while we can. Well, we, you know, the buyers don't like us very much because, because we don't like hitting bids, right? We like to offer grain. We like to try and work out where we think the market should trade and offer it at those levels, which means the buyer has to pay what we believe is the right value for the grain. So that's, and we do that through a lot of structures. We have a big offer board we use um, and we use the tender structures and things like that where, we, where we've got 700, 800-odd buyers, 740-odd uh, buyers on those platforms that are watching it all the time. Um, so, so differently to, say, a broker, for instance, who's really looking for bids and then feeding you into the bid, uh, we, we don't do that. And uh, naturally, the buyers love those brokers who do that because they give them their bid and bang, a grower selling to them, whereas we, we don't do that. So... It's um, it's sometimes people can see that as a bit more tedious because we're working the grain, not just selling it, um, and uh, it's something different about the way market check works in that space. Yeah, thank you, Brett. Hey, um, if you'd allow me, I want to change direction a little bit. Um, over my last few podcasts, I've really focused in on this topic of resilience. I've spoken to a neuroscientist and psychologist, our head coach. I've shared a bit of my backstory and we've done an interview with um, Troy and Nettie and Westy just to reflect on recovering from adversity of, of the Pinery and KI fires. Um, I think it's been a really interesting series. Brett, you've had your own experience of real adversity in your life, um, living life now as a quadriplegic after an accident at the beach. Um, years ago, and you've managed to grow a really successful business in spite of that, which is just an absolute credit to you. We touched on this story two years ago when I interviewed you the first time. Um, would you mind sharing a bit of that journey again, perhaps? But I'm keen for your spin on resilience. Like, what is it that you would say helps individuals navigate that sort of a challenge and, and still be resilient? Jeremy, it's a really interesting topic. I talk about it a lot, I guess, within the spinal cord injuries sort of uh, uh, group of people. I often uh, have uh, people who have just had a spinal injury, they'll ring for me to come and see their partner or whoever it might be that's in hospital and that sort of thing. And uh, I guess I've seen, you know, I've witnessed a lot of different types of resilience, like good resilience, ability to move on and uh, and and get on with your life, even though you've had a tragedy that's happened to you. 
And I've also seen a complete collapse of people as well, people that just completely fall apart. So, you know, um, and what is it, what is the difference between those that can get through it and move on and those that just fall in a heap? And, uh, and when I say fall in a heap, I mean, you know, falling in a heap and just disappearing, you know, like... Uh, and I, and I I think, you know, for me, I've, you know, for me, a lot of it is around uh, some luck, you know. And uh, when I say luck, I mean luck in the fact that I've got a great family around me. So having family when you have a tragedy is such a big deal. Um, and that family can be just the friends you have. It doesn't necessarily mean a wife and children or a husband and ch- children. Um, it's about having those people around you. And some people invest in those people, some people don't. But uh, I'd say when when you do invest in those people and something goes wrong, it's a really powerful thing to have them in your camp. Um, so I've been very fortunate to have, have those people in my camp, in my team, if you like. Um, and the other thing I've been, you know, very... Uh, glad to have had is just uh, this industry, you know, being involved in agriculture. You know, I, I was involved in the banking industry in the first 10 years of my career. And uh, I don't know, I just didn't feel there was a lot of value I was bringing in that. Um, but, you know, I don't know, there's something about just helping in agriculture, helping farmers helping try and improve their businesses, all that sort of thing, for me, has given me something to really focus on, you know, and uh, so a pile of depression and say, right, no, I'm here to do a job and uh, there's people who need what, I, what I've got in my head and uh, I can focus on that and at the end of the day I can feel good about what I'm doing, you know, and uh, that has helped me personally a lot with uh with my journey of of dealing with what's happened to me um so yeah a lot of people sort of say oh you know, can you talk to this person and and get them all better and i and i can do that to a certain extent but uh boy oh boy it makes a big help if you've got this you know the the team the team stevenson or whoever it might be around you and if you're lucky enough to be in an industry which is really providing value for people you know, and you can you can feel good about what you're doing, and just means you know I, I'm doing something really good here. There's I, I need to keep moving forward. I really appreciate your openness and your comments, Brett. I think it's important for our listeners and our farmers also to realise that what you're doing day in day out, you know, even for its challenges, it's actually really important work. You know, you're feeding you're feeding the nation and you're feeding the the globe and your part in that's important. With people who are going through their own version of adversity this season, and it might be related to the weather or it might be related to something else, Brett, have you got any um, tips or comments for them? Well, you know, it's a glass half full, glass half empty situation, isn't it, Jeremy? You know, like I've just got my little place here and we've had six floods through here for the year and and, uh, so three years of drought. Now three three wet years this one, uh, and you know just about anything we do just seems to get uh, so you know we're trying to get pastures established and now they're underwater. Anyway, 
so I sort of get it, you know, what it's like to try and, you know, to spend a whole year tendering to a crop for it only to be underwater, and it's very disheartening. But, you know, the upside to that is, you know, next year we're going to have all this subsoil moisture, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I know it's a game. You're playing with your head, but you're focusing on the positive aspects to try and get the glass half full rather than the glass half empty to to motivate yourself to say, yep, okay, got to make decisions. We've got to move this crop out. It's buggered. And we've got to start preparing because we've got this subsoil moisture trap. So we're going to, yeah, we might have a crack at a summer crop or just keep defending it for the winter crop. And, Jesus, isn't it a great start to have all that moisture there? You know, like things like that, I suppose, um, yeah. other than uh, and trying to build your own story to support yourself. It's a funny, funny game to play. But uh, I think it really helps to do that. Um, I'm lucky because I've got all this moisture, you know. I'm lucky because I've got a great team around me on the farm. I'm lucky because I'm well organised or whatever it is, um, rather than going, I'm bloody unlucky because this floodwater's destroyed everything. Mm. You know, it's that sort of, and although it seems silly, it does help you, you know, it does help you to focus on those those positive things and not let too many of the, you know, for me, I can't walk anymore, don't focus on that, focus on what, you know, the things that I can do and the positive things that I can do. Don't don't get caught up. Doesn't mean you're not going to have down times where you think of those things and because nobody can avoid it, but just try and make sure there's more of the positive than there is the negative. Yeah, wonderful comment. A um, couple of things just to add to that. I think we can't choose the events that come our way, but we can choose the attitude with which we navigate them, to your point, and, you know, to look for the silver lining and look for those little positives in a big negative or other Mm. is really important. I think the other thing that you raised that's a really important point is that our result is not our identity. Like just because we might have a result this year that we weren't expecting or hoping for, that doesn't define who we are. So we need to Mm. separate the results we get from who we are and really work on our own sense of self in addition to the result that we get. Um, and you talk there about writing a better story. I think that's a really compelling way to put it, um, is that we get to choose the story that we tell ourselves about our reality, don't we? And and we can always stop and be more accurate in how we define a better and more positive story. Yeah, uh, Jeremy, the thing is people can, you can get advice from people, they can try what they might, but unless you can sell yourself that story, um, and believe in it yourself, um, then, you know, you know that's really, really, I can't, for me at least, that's been really important to be, to, to be able to do that. And uh, um, because, you know, advice is advice, but at the end of the day, you've got to have your own self-belief about what you're doing and, and putting a positive spin, just selecting the positive things and trying to, you know, shed the ones that are the negative things. And you're right, you know, like there's people up around Moree and, you know, various other places, even out here on the Bland, that, you know, they're very good farmers, done done everything right, everything they possibly could, but are going to have a have a terrible result this year. Um, nothing they could do. It's just God's way with the weather. Um, uh, but, you know, it's the, there's nothing to be reflected upon their ability. It's just how it goes, you know, and frankly, you know, in a way, that's life. 
you know? <laughs> it's the game we're in, but just somehow finding a way to take a higher perspective is really important, isn't it? And see this just as one season in 100. Um, yeah. And we need to dust ourselves off from this one. And as you say, look for the brightness in it for next year, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, no, there is. There's, look, it's going to be out of this year. And pretty much people are saying about it already is that we're going to have a great go at it next year because we're going to have all this moisture in the ground. And that's very true. It's very true. You know, and the prices are, you know, let's hope they continue to hold. Prices are encouraging. And uh, so it's it's a good time to be in agriculture. You know, there's nothing nothing really negative in agriculture at the moment. It's a very powerful time to be here. We're very lucky to be in an industry that's really doing as well as it is you know it's uh it's really quite unbelievable what's going on in agriculture at the moment even even in this moment with the season that we have i just do not think there's a better industry to be in yeah yeah no i think we're contributing fantastically and and uh yeah everyone everyone should should be able to puff their chest out and feel pretty good about what they're doing Red, it's it's always a real privilege and a pleasure to catch up with you. Um, I hope that we get to do this before two years from now. Um, <laughs> but thank you for sharing your local and global insight, but also just touching on your personal story and giving us your spin on navigating adversity and and remaining resilient. Just a fantastic conversation. I'm very grateful for your time. Thanks, Jeremy. It's been really nice to see you again. And, uh, yeah, let's make it less than two years next time. Absolutely. Thanks for your time, Brett. All right, no problem. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Profitable Farmer podcast by Farm Owners Academy. If you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a long-time listener, let your friends know about us or come continue the conversation in the Profitable Farmer Facebook group. All the best as you grow your business and create your freedom farm. Until next time, keep being incredible.